Some find it hard to relate to the fact that on this day of Tisha B'Av, we're mourning, we're in a state of Avelos, national mourning, the Beis Amigdash. That's essentially what this day is about. The fact that on this day, both temples, the first and the second Bate Migdash, were destroyed. That, of course, is the essence of what this day is about and why it's this day on the calendar. But many people have a hard time understanding, like, why exactly am I supposed to be sad about that? Am I really missing anything by the fact that there's no temple, there's no Beis Migdash? How much of my life is really missing from the fact that there's no building where they spend the day slaughtering animals, receiving their blood in vessels, spritzing it over the altar, or taking like bird sacrifices, and the Kohen would stick his uh, thumbnail into the back of the neck of the bird, thereby killing it, and then by the oil smushing its body against the Mizbeach until all the blood oozed out. Like, why, why do I need that in my life? Like, is that seriously what I'm supposed to be spending this day crying about? And so, of course, very often, what many people do on this day, and, and it's definitely certainly part of the custom of Tisha B'Av, is that we also mourn on this day, not just the Bate Migdash, but throughout history, unfortunately, the saddest book that has ever been written is the book of Jewish history. And throughout history, there have been tragedies that we pick this day of Tisha B'Av to mourn. Like in one of the keynotes that we said this morning, it says about the Crusades that most of the <clears throat> terrible, terrible slaughter and destruction of our people that happened during the Crusades by the wicked Crusaders, most of that didn't happen in this month. It happened in the spring, in Iyar and Sivan. So, but why do we why do we cry about it? Why do we mourn? Why do we say the dirges, the kinos about it on Tisha B'av? Because this is the day that's picked to be the day of national mourning. So this is the day we mourn all other things as well. This day, the tragic nature of this day is already since the Midbar, since the desert, of course, the night the spies came back and we cried was the night of Tisha B'av. And this is the day that both Bate Migdash, the both temples were burned, desecrated, destroyed. So therefore, we might as well on this day also mourn all the other terrible things that happened to us. And so a lot of people have an easier time relating to more contemporary things, whether it's pogroms, holocaust, suicide bombings. I mean, we could just go on and on. But this day is essentially a day which we focus on all the terrible, terrible tragedies that have happened to our people. And so a lot of people have easier time relating to those things at least. And it happens to be the day that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed as well. But that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what, what the Beis HaMikdash was, will be, Mitzvah what we're missing. See, first of all, we have to understand that our whole connection with the God, the reason that we have so often such a hard time connecting to Hashem and that we don't really experience Hashem is because there's no Beis HaMikdash. You know, the Beis HaMikdash wasn't just a slaughterhouse. I mean... If one learns a little more in depth, what actually happened with the whole order of the Karbanas? It essentially was a totally immersive experience where one's whole being was completely absorbed and swept away into this ascent that happened through the Karban. First of all, the, the Svarim explained that when an animal was killed in the base of Migdash, it wasn't just just killed. Its soul ascended up through the special fire on the Mizbeach, 
ascended up to the angels, to the higher world, to the angels which were the root. The angels are the root of all the animals in this world. And so when the animals would ascend up to the angels, one soul, since it was your korban, one soul would ascend up with the animal, up into the higher worlds, and would experience vicariously through one's connection to the animal, which is why there was smicha, one leaned on the animal, etc., your soul would also experience this ascent up to God. And don't forget that while this was happening, this mystical service, the Levim, you had an entire tribe of the Jewish people, the Levim, an entire tribe that was on welfare. And Hashem calls them the legion of the king, the whole Levim. What did the Levim do in the Beis HaMikdash? They sang. They played musical instruments. That's all they did. I mean, they opened and closed some doors and stuff, but essentially you had an entire tribe that what were they doing all the time? Playing music. Imagine the most beautiful symphony you could, Mozart you could imagine. This was the entire Levium singing, playing instruments, and all their music, the notes, were correspondent to Kabbalistic secrets, which is why there are seven notes of music, Dora, Dore, Mi, Fa, Sol, Ati, etc., and all the music that the Levim played were Kabbalistically connected to the worlds and to one's soul. And so when you would go in, your whole being was part of that sacrificial order. All one's five senses was completely being stimulated by this magical scene that was happening. You know, today we're so used to going to shul and, you know, all you see is the wall in front of you or some annoying person that's sitting in the, in the pew in front of you and you hear the kids screaming in the other room. <laughs> We're used to that's what davening's like, but that's not what it was like in the Beis Hamikdash. It wasn't just reading words out of a book. It was ascending up to the divine chariot with the animal. And so, yes, the Beis Hamikdash was first and foremost for us our connection to Hashem in a revealed way. There's a reason that Shira Shirim speaks about the Beis Hamikdash as being the bedroom. But the truth is that if you take a step back, we could also realize something even more fundamental. The whole idea of korbanus, of sacrifices, I mean, for us it sounds like something so primitive. But if you reflect a couple of moments, there was never any society in ancient times that didn't bring sacrifices. They all, and it's not that necessarily one, one society was influenced by another. Since time immemorial, since recorded time in history, every location, geographical, every society brought sacrifices. So maybe it's not that they were primitive, but, well, I mean, yeah, of course they were primitive in some very basic ways, but they were also very spiritually sensitive. Obviously, it wasn't just that they were hoping something would happen. They obviously experienced something to the extent that there were nations that were willing to sacrifice their children. They were so sure of this sacrificial order that it did something, that they were, they were kings, etc., whether it's, you know, in, in Tanakh we have Mesha, the king of Moab, that sacrificed his son on the wall, or in literature Agamemnon before the Troy War, sacrifices his daughter Iphigenia. You had kings that sacrificed their children, killed their children. The Torah has to forbid it, meaning it was done. Meaning that these sacrifices actually worked. Something happened. We're the ones that are, the, are primitive when it comes to being spiritually sensitive. 
The Zohar says, Raza de Korbana Oilad Raza de Ein Sof. The secret of sacrifices reaches the secret of the Ein Sof, of the Atmos, of the essence of God. How, why, how does that work? Why does throwing blood and receiving it in a vessel and spritzing it, why does that, how does that reach God? I don't know. I, don't, I also don't know how an iPhone works. Do you know how an iPhone works? You want to understand how God works? How the secrets of the universe work? But the bottom line is that you even see historically that all nations were involved in the sacrificial order. But you might ask and be more persistent and say, okay, so Korbana's sacrifices, it brings out unbelievable ascents up to the divine chariot, etc. Unbelievable. But there's so many other things I should be worrying about in my life, in the world. There's so much sorrow in the world. There's so much suffering in the world. So many lonely people, so many broken people, so many abused people. Such terrible things happening in the world. War is still happening. The threat of totalitarian governments once again. Anti-Semitism. I mean, cancer wards that are filled with children, we shouldn't know from it. And yet that's what we need to ask for every time we ever daven Musaf, etc. All we need is to ask for a Beis Migdash that we should once again bring sacrifices, animal sacrifices. But the parable to understand this, imagine somebody goes to a doctor and says, you know, doctor, my feet are bothering me. <clears throat> my hands are hurting me, they're tingling, my nose is bothering me, my stomach is bothering me. And the doctor takes a look at the patient and says, oh, let me give you medication for your heart. We have to look in the, there's something wrong with your heart. <clears throat> so the guy says to the doctor, you didn't listen to me. I said, my feet are bothering me, my hands, my nose, my stomach. That, that's what's bothering me. So the doctor says to him, no, don't you understand? It's because your heart is not healthy. All those other things are results, are manifestations of an unhealthy heart. When your heart is not healthy, that's when all those other things happen. The Besamigdash is the heart of the world. It's not a mistake that all the things in there were with blood. The soul is through blood, like the heart. What's the heart? How does the heart keep the body alive? Through blood. The Besamigdash is the heart of the world. That that there's all these terrible things have happened over the past 2,000 years is because we didn't have the Beis HaMikdash. It's because the heart wasn't pumping properly. And therefore the light of God wasn't flowing in a proper way through the world in a healthy way. And that's what caused all the tragedies to happen. That's where all suffering comes from. You know, Chazal say if the non-Jews would have known what the Beis HaMikdash does for them, they would have circled it with legions protecting it to make sure that no one would harm the temple in Jerusalem. If they would only know that all their suffering also comes because there's no Beis HaMikdash. It's the heart of the world. The Altarebbe brings in Tanya in the third or first chapter of Igeras HaKadosh where the Zohar says that in Golus the Shechina is sick. In Golus the Shechinta Mora Begalusa, the Shechina is sick in Golus. Now Altarebbe says, what's the idea? What's sickness? Sickness is when the blood doesn't flow properly through the body or the, the chi, the life force, the vitality, the prana. Whenever there's not a healthy flow through the body, that's sickness. The Beis Hamikdash is the heart, is what brings about God's light to flow throughout the world. It pumps out God's light in a healthy way to the world. Everything that's happened, the Holocaust, the pogroms, every time a person cries, 
all suffering comes from the Beis Hamikdash, from the fact that we don't have that temple, we don't have the Beis Hamikdash pumping out Hashem to the world in a healthy way. And of course, that's the deeper reason why on Tisha B'av we speak about all these other tragedies that happen, not just because happens to be, might as well pick this day anyway, because the lack of the Beis Hamikdash is what allowed our people to have been persecuted, killed, slaughtered, raped, destroyed, exiled, viled to this day, to this day. It's all because we don't have the Beis Hamikdash. The Beis Hamikdash is our heart. It is the revelation of God in the world. That's what we're missing. That's what we're mourning. And that's what we're sure, sure with full faith that we're going to have again the coming of Mashiach Tzidkenu should still be today when, like the Ramam says, Tisha will be the greatest Yontav with the coming of Mashiach.